Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts the volume The NFL season is going strong, and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking up new customers with an offer that's even stronger. Bet 5 bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code JOHN, J-O-H-N. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's code JOHN only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, licensed partner, Gold Nugget Charles, Louisiana, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in ONT. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions terms and responsible gaming resources what is going on everybody john middlecoff three and out podcast how are we doing my people here's the game plan today we're going to talk some football cousins and dak cousins might get traded the dak contract everyone's ripping them belichick big game against McDaniels and the Raiders. Uh, would he really go to LA if this is it? If this is all she wrote for New England? I, I don't know. But I, I think I've kind of figured out the team most likely to get them. Quarterback injuries and why they're such great opportunities for guys that are lifetime backups. 
and then uh, them chanting Fire Canada at the Penguins game in Pittsburgh. Uh, not going well for the Steelers offensive coordinator and a couple other college thoughts. So a lot going on today, football-wise. I, I've i had a lot going on in the move and disaster of a house, so I, di- I didn't do a podcast yesterday. I apologize for that. So I will do the mailbag today at John Middlecoff is the Instagram fire in those DMs moving and projects are stressful. They they really are. I've I've had to I've had to keep my mentals uh try to keep them straight, but sometimes you just want to snap. But luckily podcasting at about nine o'clock at night on Wednesday, you can get out some of your uh your animosity and your anger from the day. But uh, at John Middlecoff, Instagram, fire in those DMs. Subscribe to the podcast if you listen on Collins Feed. Appreciate everyone that listens. And uh, we will have another podcast on Friday reacting to Andy Reid against Sean Payton. That's probably another L for the Broncos, but we we will react to that and talk some other stuff football-wise, I'm sure, going into the weekend with Stucky. That will be on Friday, but today is today, so let's dive into it. Can I tell you about my friends? my partners, and a company that I swear by, GameTime. Grab your smartphone right now and go to your app store. Download the GameTime app, the official ticketing app of this show. GameTime, the official ticketing app of this show. And do yourself a favor. Do you want to go to a football game? I'm watching the World Series right now. Or not the World Series, but the Major League Baseball playoffs. Do you live in Texas? Do do you want to go to watch my guy Bruce Bochy make another World Series run? Go to GameTime. Look at any event you want to go to. You can search based on the venue and the price point. Use the promo code John. Promo code John, $20 off your first pair of tickets, concerts, comedy shows. They have you covered. Promo code John. Cannot recommend them enough. Game time, fastest growing ticket app in America. Promo code John. Okay, let's start with uh, two guys. You know, it's weird. In football, when you become really good, We just kind of nitpick you for championships, right? Like Lamar, Josh Allen, uh, Herbert's going to become this, Trevor Lawrence too. Until they win a championship, we'll nitpick you at the highest level. But everyone acknowledges how sweet these guys are. I mean, specifically Josh Allen, Lamar, and Herbert. We we can debate Trevor Lawrence, but he has games like he just did in, uh, in London. He'll shut everyone up. Once you become Mahomes, Peyton, Brady, Breeze, Rodgers... Their trump cards always, I'm a champion. Then there's this group of guys that are never going to win a Super Bowl, and we debate how good they are, right? We, we know, we all acknowledge, they're never winning it. But we also acknowledge, like, they're way better than the majority of guys. But they're not the group that I just listed. Like, they're never going to be Mahomes. They're never going to be Josh Allen. They're never going to be what Aaron Rodgers was. Like, never. Not even close. But they're damn good. The problem is, with Kirk Cousins, who today, and rightfully so, was asked if he'd waive his no-trade clause to be traded, and Dak Prescott, who are both kind of in the same world. Like, if your team's built well, you can win a lot of games, but you're going to have games throughout the year where it's going to be like, what the hell was that? But overall, the stats are going to look good, and you're going to go to the playoffs and maybe win a game. Cousins a couple years ago beat New Orleans on the road. Dak last year hammered the Bucks, and then you'll lose. And we'll say bye-bye. The problem is, and I was really thinking about this today, because my take has always been like, what's Jerry supposed to do? Just like let Dak walk? Minnesota, are they being kind of crazy 
for basically acknowledging, one, that they would trade him, but two, that they have no intention on resigning him. I think once you get to a point with these guys, and Cousins is older than Dak, but when I just know there is no chance we're making a Super Bowl run with this guy, but I have to pay you 40 to $45 million, it no longer makes financial sense. I've saw two guys, you know, when I worked with the Eagles, uh, you know, as a staff member, you ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the facility. The players would basically just eat breakfast and lunch, but some of the guys, they, they would be there around dinner time and they would have dinner. So you'd hold court with, you know, Shady McCoy was always there, Brent Selleck, and it was fun. Like you'd be bullshitting about football, making fun of guys, and you'd get to know their personality. So when you see some of these viral clips of Shady now, like Shady's fun. And I'll give him credit. He is not afraid to say, like, I always thought it was very disingenuous when the Zach Wilson scenario or situation a couple weeks ago, when Rodney Harrison called him garbage and then everyone pushed back like that's unfair. Every human being was calling the guy garbage. Maybe we were using a different word to describe him, but we all acknowledge the guy really sucked. So when Rodney Harrison, one of the better players of his generation is saying this, you all were saying it too. And I know I'm not talking about you, the listener. I'm just saying anyone that pushed back, right? Shady McCoy has been on this early. He doesn't believe in Dak Prescott. And I think a lot of people thought, well, he's an eagle, hates the Cowboys, which is true, right? What's weird is, and I wouldn't have known the NFC East like I do if I hadn't lived it. Uh, I'm a West Coast guy, but the NFC East basically has a couple true rivalries. The Giants hate the Eagles and the Cowboys. The Eagles hate the Giants and the Cowboys, and the Cowboys hate the Giants and the Eagles. And Washington, at least under Dan Snyder the last couple of decades, is kind of irrelevant. And as you see this year, not that they're terrible. I mean, last year they beat the Eagles. They have some upset wins a couple times over the couple of decades they've made the playoffs. But it feels because they've become so crappy that they're out of the mix. So when all these people, especially Cowboy fans, see Shady McCoy calling him ass, they think it's like personal. And he just thinks he's not any good. And then in my neck of the woods, Dante Whitner, who does 49er postgame on like local TV, said basically they came to him. He's like, Dak Prescott sucks. And he took a lot of shit for saying that. Like, let's face it, Dak Prescott, I don't think necessarily sucks, but he's not good enough at the highest level to win. Right. And same thing with Cousins, who I actually think is better currently than Dak Prescott. But the complicated situation with those two guys is. How can you pay them? No, this isn't, you, you don't take less money when you're throwing for 35 plus touchdowns. You make more. That's the way the NFL works at quarterback. So both these guys are in line for raises. And I've kind of come around with Minnesota. Like, how am I going to give this guy 43, $44 million a year? I, I can't do it because I can't build my team around that. Now, Jerry is adamant that they're going to pay Dak. But when you look at the puzzle pieces, like, how do I build a team if his next contract is $45 million a year? We all know he's not a $45 million a year quarterback. We can nitpick Jalen Hurts. Like, was it too early to give him? Jalen Hurts is a better player than Dak Prescott. <laughs> Period, point blank, end of story. That's, that's not even debatable. And we've seen him play. Hell, we just saw Brock Purdy be dramatically better. And here's the thing with Dak Prescott. It's not like he's playing with nobodies. So I think these guys, contract situations, I've kind of pivoted because I thought, like, how are you going to upgrade? Maybe it's not even about upgrading. Maybe it's just about, can we get 90% of the player as a second-round draft pick within a couple years? But the difference is, financially, he's making 140th. If that guy's making a million dollars, 
and Dak's making 45, think of the advantage we have building our team. And I think Minnesota looks at the same. Now, it, it is hard, even if you take the guy in the second round, the likelihood that that guy is a good starting quarterback is very hit or miss. Most guys don't become, in the second round, Jimmy Garoppolo or Derek Carr. Hell, most guys in the first round don't become legit starting quarterback. So it's a complicated situation, but I think Cousins with Minnesota is strictly financial. Of course they know he's good. Hell, I mean, and and they know it's going to be difficult to upgrade, but it's all about money. They can't build their team. Now, we'll see how this thing plays out with, I mean, next week's big. Monday Night Football, Dak Prescott against Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert makes a shitload of money. There is not a soul in the NFL, not one GM, not one coach, not one quarterback coach, not one assistant GM that would take Dak Prescott over Justin Herbert. And they're in somewhat of the same world when it comes to money. So Dak's going to need to step up. And last week he said he was shell-shocked with the 49er game, and he thought they had an excellent plan. Like, all that stuff's great. It's like when coaches are like, God, this guy was great in practice. Yeah, he sucked in the game. No one gives a shit what the guy knows in practice. You get paid for the games. And I I think the other conversation around this, like obviously Dak's going nowhere this year. They're not going to trade him. The Cousins trade talk is not slowing down. Now, he has a no trade clause. And if I was Kirk Cousins, what I would do, basically under no circumstances am I waiving that trade clause. I I, Like, where are you going to go? The Jets, they just lost another offensive lineman. Would not risk it. One, I know they don't want me back. They're going with Aaron Rodgers. So I'm kind of a mercenary. And if it starts going shitty, they will not care about me. I wouldn't touch that one. You know, I I heard some buzz just driving around, listening to some sports talk shows. The Patriots, could they be interested? Doesn't really feel like Belichick. And if I'm Robert Kraft, like, I'm not trading any draft picks for a quarterback when we got Mac Jones. We're, we're going to go down with the ship this year, and honestly, it's not the worst thing. We'll be in position to draft a quarterback. Now, the one team that made me think was the Atlanta Falcons. Not because I think they're that good, but because if you're Kirk Cousins and you go there, their head coach is also the offensive coordinator. So if you were to go there and impress, assuming that they would be interested, what if they wanted to resign you? Right, that, That's a huge part, like if you're Cousins. And Cousins has been adamant, and he talked about it on Wednesday, that he's not even thinking about that. He's not wrong. Until he's asked to wave, wave his no-trade clause, it's all a bunch of outside noise. And I also think, like, the other element, like, how many teams are really calling and really that interested? Because if you are Minnesota, I don't think you're giving him away for a fourth, fifth, sixth-round pick. Because let's face it, at the end of the day, if he does hit the open market, someone might give him two years, $75 million, and you will get that third-round comp pick. So it doesn't make sense to trade him for anything less than a third-round pick. But how many teams are beating down the drawer at that number? It's why it makes these two players. I mean, honestly, they're of my lifetime. uh, Usually the most polarizing players are not like Peyton Manning, right? Or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. I mean, we talk about those guys a lot. But the resume speaks for itself. Like, honestly, the most polarizing players of the previous generation were like Tony Romo, Jay Cutler. And that's kind of where these two guys fall. And like those guys, once you make a lot of money and you're not really some like elite guy, everyone questions, is it all worth it? And I think it's a fair statement on both sides because you could always push back. Like, how are you going to do better than Tony Romo or Jay Cutler? And most times it's very difficult to. But also, if you have Jay Cutler and you're paying premium money, are you at a disadvantage relative to the rest of the league? It's no different than Kirk Cousins, at least the rest of the high end of the league. 
And it's what makes these conversations so difficult and difficult is the wrong word, but, uh, you know, such a, such a roller coaster. You, you hear so many different opinions. Uh, I personally like cousins more than Dak, but neither guy would I feel great about having for 40 plus million dollars on my team. One story that is just never going to die as long as this season goes, especially the way it's going, is the Patriots and Belichick. And there is not anyone that follows the NFL that you couldn't bring up Bill Belichick and the Patriots and should they fire him, how that should go, and they wouldn't have an opinion. He's easily one of the most famous guys in the league, rightfully so, six Lombardis. He went to three other ones. Uh, He's just an all-time football guy. But this week, he happens to be playing Josh McDaniels. And it's weird, right? Because I don't think the Raiders are that good. I think they're like got three players worth a damn. And those players are so goddamn good that they can win them a game. I mean, a couple weeks ago, Devontae Adams had like 17 catches. It feels like every single snap, Max Crosby is in the backfield. But they're not good. And now you got Josh and Jimmy Garoppolo going back to New England. And you look at it and you go, well, if you're Mark Davis and the Raiders, you go, well, we got to win this game. We win this game. We're three and three, and we're right back in position. Our head's above water, and we're okay. But if you're the Patriots, you go, we can beat the Raiders, right? We definitely can beat Josh McDaniels. going to come beat us. Josh McDaniels is going to compete Bill Belichick. I don't care how shitty the team is. So every single one of these losses with Bill is going to grow and grow in controversy of, and you've seen a lot of these headlines, if it was any other coach, he'd be on the hot seat. It's true. He's not any other coach. So it's like, I- I'm sorry. He, he gets a-, a little different leeway, right? I mean, just He's not treated like everyone else. He's made his owners hundreds of millions of dollars. Most coaches do not. Most failed coaches lose their owner's money, essentially. So when you look at the situation, you got to ask yourself, how ugly is it going to get? Because I saw a headline today that made me laugh. And it was, you know, from a local Patriot reporter that said, Robert Kraft is growing frustrated and angry with Belichick. I'm like, yeah, no shit. So is every other fan. Like, that's not that's not insight right now. If you're going to report on this, you got to give me some insight of, you know, Robert is having second thoughts. If this season, if they miss the playoffs, which they will, Bill will not be the coach in 2024. That's news. Saying that Robert Kraft is not happy with what's going on, like file that under no shit. Like uh, that, that's not that's not a report. That that's common sense, right? So until I see a report of some way Robert Kraft is feeling with Bill Belichick, I think we're all just going to assume he's not happy. This is not going well, and he is wondering how he should handle the situation. And let's face it, Bill Belichick, if he's fired at the end of the season, to me is not tapping out. He's too close to the record. Now I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast. It turns out Andy Reid isn't that far away, and because it looks like his runway with Patrick Mahomes, that if Bill only wins, let's say, 15 to 18 more games in his coaching career, Andy could pass him if he keeps on coaching with Mahomes. But like that's a secondary conversation. The main conversation right now is Bill is going to try to pass Don Shula. And listen, I'm born and raised in California. California ain't Bill Belichick. Not at all. I I had a buddy of mine who works in football, who's worked in the NFL in college, who told me a long time ago, back when like USC was kind of sniffing around for some big dogs, under no circumstances would Nick Saban ever take that job. He hates the West Coast. He belongs in the South. Look at the two programs he's coached most recently. 
LSU, and Alabama. And a lot of that is culturally, he's from West Virginia. But also, like, there's a, a cheating element to those schools. There's just a willingness when it comes to football. It fits his personality. And when you think about Bill Belichick, think about the teams that he worked for. The New York Giants in the 80s, right? Then he went to the Jets with Parcells. And then he's been with New England. Like, he, the Chargers? You Could you see Bill Belichick in Manhattan Beach hanging around Dean Spanos? No fucking chance. One, that they would never be interested in paying him. And two, I don't think Bill would be that interested. So to me, you got to think of cities and cultures around the program or the organization that kind of fits his personality. Angry, edgy, dark. It's why, honestly, Washington makes some sense. If they fire Ron Rivera at the end of the year, new owner who maybe gives Bill Belichick, here's four, here's four years, $80 million. Come just try to resurrect my franchise. Just get me to the playoffs a couple times. Now, I've said forever, it's very, very weird. The owner of the Sixers could not have owned the Giants or the Cowboys. It would never have been allowed. He could not have pulled it off. Like, he could not own the Sixers and own one of those two teams. Honestly, it's flirting with weirdness, and I would imagine many people in Philly think it is kind of weird. But luckily, Washington has been so irrelevant, it hasn't gotten that weird yet. But there's going to come a time where week 18, right, the 17th game of the season, it's Commanders, Eagles for a playoff spot in 2025. Eagles fans aren't going to be cool if they win that game, the owner presenting the coach and the quarterback with a game ball. That shit's not going to fly. But if I'm him, I'm very interested in Bill Belichick. Hell, I might even trade for him. It'd be a big splash. It would kind of resurrect the interest in my fan base. I actually think they are the most likely team to be interested and go all in on Bill. I had a couple people DM me, what about the Chicago Bears? A little, I actually think the city in Chicago makes more sense for Bill than LA, but a lot like Dean Spanos and the Chargers, they're kind of cheap. Like, they're not exactly hiring 15, 20 million dollar coaches. And you can be like, well, Bill's resume, his stock's at an all-time low. His worst is worse. And someone would be willing to pay him 15 to 18 million dollars for sure. It's probably Josh Harris. So when you look at a team that the most likely destination for him when slash if it's probably more likely when than if he's fired would be Washington. So my guess is this thing continues to go bad. You lose to a Raider team with a below average Jimmy Garoppolo, a Josh McDaniels, who even Raider fans will tell you not very good. Feels like they're a two man band. Max Crosby, Devontae Adams, a little bit of Jacobs, but he hasn't quite been the same guy as last year. That that loss is going to be bad. Not as bad as last week. Derek Carr and Dennis Allen, but not good either. You might be a pro when it comes to what you do, but we can't all be pros at everything. Take home repairs, remodeling, and renovations. That's not something you want to trust to anyone but a skilled professional. Angie's List is now Angie. Connect with a local pro, tackle jobs big and small inside and out. Decks, leaky faucets, maybe redoing a kitchen. I know I can relate. It's not easy and you want people you can trust. The Angie app, offers robust tools so you can research and connect with local pros who come highly rated and recommended by people right in your neighborhood, all with a few taps of a button. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Another thing I've been thinking, as a backup quarterback, a lot of stuff is out of your control, right? Like if I'm drafting the fourth round and I make the team at wide receiver, at defensive line at safety 
ultimately, I'm going to end up playing. Injuries, defensive line, you rotate in at wide receiver. I get six, seven plays. Even if I'm the fourth or fifth guy, I probably play special teams. I get game reps on Sunday. As the backup quarterback, if my starter never gets injured and never plays poorly, I never take a snap. And as someone who used to evaluate all these guys throughout the year, when it came to evaluating backup quarterbacks, like let's pick the Chiefs, Blaine Gabbert, right? If Mahomes never gets injured and he takes every single regular season snap, if I want to put a grade on Blaine Gabbert, the only snaps I have to go off of if I'm an opposing team, because if he's going to be a free agent, is preseason. And that is the majority of quarterbacks, right? You look around the league. Brock Purdy, if he never gets injured, the only tape I'm going to have to go off if Sam Darnold will be preseason tape. And you look all around the league, Drew Locke, whoever. I know some of these guys have played sparingly with a rolled ankle or whatever. But for the most part, they, they may have 17 regular season passes. So the majority of your grade is going to come in the regular season. That's not true for these other positions. Hell, even the, the, the young punt returner for the Jets. Like, if he doesn't play that much on offense, I still can evaluate him preseason tape on offense, and I know that he returns, and I get to watch all of his punt returns. Right? With a backup quarterback, you get nothing. So as that position, you need things out of your control, either injury or poor play, to go your way. And then you're given an opportunity. And then you have the opportunity to make yourself a lot of money. And I was thinking about it because the news came out today, Anthony Richardson is out for the foreseeable future. They put him on injury reserve. Could be four weeks, but then they ask Shane Sykin, and he's like, we'll see. Like, ask, you know, if he'll be, be ready to come back in four weeks. You don't know. And there's a chance a guy like Gardner Minshew, who the last couple of years hasn't played that much, right? Uh, hell, he was the backup for the Eagles last year with Jalen Hurts. Like, I guess he got to a couple starts because Jalen's shoulder got injured. But ultimately, a guy like Gardner Minshew can make a ton of money. And you you can look up... If he has a stretch of seven, eight games where he plays winning football, he may never be a starter, right? Some team might be willing to give him like $12 million to be a bridge starter, but he basically ensures himself being a lock back up until he's 35, 36 years old. And all of a sudden you meet him, you know, Gardner Minshew when he's 44 years old at a dinner and he goes, I played 14 years in the NFL. And these opportunities open up at the weirdest times, right? Took Anthony Richardson having a shoulder sprain. Think of what happened for Joshua Dobbs, who was looks like a lock backup for life. Then all of a sudden, Colt McCoy gets cut. They trade for him. He gets to be named the starter. And then you watch him, you're like, he's not terrible. Now, is he an ideal starting quarterback? Probably not. But if I'm any team with a good quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, would I not pay that guy four or five million dollars? Because my goal is to win. So if my quarterback's out a month, I know I can win two out of the four games, three out of the four games with that guy. So these players, look at Brock Purdy last year. Not in a million years when the season started, even though he made the team, did anyone around the 49ers, anyone in the NFL, think the guy was going to throw passes, let alone start games. All of a sudden, a broken ankle, a broken foot. He became the starter. A year and a half later, he's like a star. So when your opportunity comes at quarterback and you never know when it's going to come at all these other positions, you're constantly mixing in. You're constantly getting reps at worst case. If you're dressing on game day, you're playing special teams back at quarterback. You name, you may never break a sweat and guys like Gardner Minshew, Joshua Dobbs get their opportunity. And honestly, you watch Minshew last week 
you watch Joshua Dobbs throughout the season, I'm pretty impressed. I look at it and I go, that guy at worst is the best backup quarterback in the NFL. And ideally, you don't want that guy. You don't want him to be your starting quarterback. But when you're in that position, you basically, as long as you're healthy, you have a job for a long, long time. So those guys are great examples of when opportunity comes knocking, you can bust through that door and change your career forever and definitely change your bank account. The Steelers. Uh, I saw a clip yesterday, and I'm sure many saw this. It was the Penguins game. I, it might have been, I'm not a huge hockey guy, the opening night of the NHL. Uh, Could have been the last preseason game. Sorry, sorry, hockey guy, not super locked in. But they were chanting Fire Canada. And before we dive into the specifics of just the Steelers' issues on offense, an underrated part about the popularity of the sport of football Like in baseball, unless your position coach, like your hitting coach is Mark McGuire or Jason Giambi or some famous guy, you have no clue, unless you're a diehard hardball guy, who your assistant coaches are. You know your manager and your players. And maybe if an assistant coach has been there a long time, you get to know them. But you don't know them like you do your offensive and defensive coordinator in the NFL. In basketball, you have no clue who your assistant coaches are unless they're former head coaches. And I think one thing that has really separated the NFL is head coaches in sports my entire life have always been big parts of the reality television show that is just baseball, basketball, or football, right? The manager, the coaches in baseball, or excuse me, basketball in the NFL. But one thing that has really exploded in the NFL, and maybe it's always been like this, but it feels like more now than ever, and especially the last four or five years, they're more famous are the coordinators. So it's one thing to yell at your head coach for the decisions he's making. It's another thing to know the intimate details of your coordinators, their background, and why they suck. And Matt Canada is not alone. There are multiple Matt Canadas in the NFL and in college football that that fan base can't stand. Can you imagine at any other, at like a hockey arena throughout the country, anyone chanting fire the pitching coach for the Yankees? Like that that would never happen. But in football, the coordinators are so powerful and they become so famous. And they become, when you're the coordinator of the offense and your head coach is Mike Tomlin, you're not really blaming Mike Tomlin. He has nothing to do with the offense. And here's the other thing I would say. A lot of people in the media, in a weird way, don't like fans. You know, they, they view themselves as above the fans. And, and I, I have always hated that. Like, and one thing we try to do on this show is represent the fan, just represent the normal guy. I haven't sat in a media room in a long, long time because I think fans, especially of places that are successful, like a Steeler fan, when they're yelling it, and listen, I'm not saying that some fans can't have crazy talk. I mean, I, I saw it with the 49ers. People wanted Trey Lance to start and Brock Purdy to get benched in August of this year. So people can say crazy things, but that's part of being fan, right? Short for fanatic. But for the most part, I think universal fan bases understand what it's supposed to look like. Like if you're a Packer fan right now and you're 50 years old, like you know what good football looks like. You you know what good quarterback play looks like. You know what good offense looks like. Yeah, actually, I got a pretty good idea, even though your defense hasn't been great for a while, what good defense defensive football is. So if you're pissed at your team, like you kind of have a right. Like you kind of under you kind of get it. Like, if you're a Bama fan, you go, God, this something looks off. You kind of know what you're looking at. And one thing, if you're a Steeler fan, and you're my age, it's like, well, I lived through Todd Haley, 
who, listen, we can nitpick them all we want, but his offenses were pretty explosive. And before that, we had Bruce Arians. Last I checked, the owners got mad that he didn't run the ball enough, but we were fucking pretty explosive. So what Matt Canada's doing ain't working. Pretty generic. And ultimately, we can nitpick the play calls all you want. This is a production-based business. It's very black and white. You either score points or you don't. You either win or you lose. And when you're the offensive coordinator, your offense is explosive and it's putting touchdowns on the board or it's not. And if you watch the Steelers, it simply is not doing that. Now, I, I will defend them. Like I, And part of it is if the owner or the head coach is mandating that you play a certain player, then that's not on you. And old, only people inside the building know. right? So if they're mandating that you play Najee Harris, that's not on Matt Canada. I'm not saying they are, but I wouldn't play that guy. Because it, if it is, you have the power and the juice to play who you want to play. Stop playing that guy. He's not good enough, especially given your situation. Who is? Pickens. Get him the ball. Now you get Deontay Johnson back off injury. We'll see if he comes back this week, within the next couple weeks. Like, you have really explosive playmakers. Now, your quarterback is limited. But I was saying the same thing about Jordan Love the other night. Get him on the move. Stop asking him to play like Peyton Manning. Stop asking him to play like Tom Brady. He is very athletic. Get him on the move. Turn the field into half. And give him two reads, and if not, run. And get out of bounds or slide. Right? So you can simplify stuff and actually improve. But the fans are not happy. And I don't blame them. Because their talent, and we've talked about this before, they're lucky, it's good enough, that at any moment their defense can score multiple touchdowns. That ain't normal. That's kind of what's happening in Dallas when they've been blowing people out. It's like their defense special team are scoring points. It's not like their quarterback's throwing four touchdowns a game. So I love that the fans are this in this or this into it. I love that the fans know this much. I have a lot of respect for big fan bases of the right teams. It's one thing to be a Cowboy fan like, this is our year win the Super Bowl. Like, no, you're not. It's another thing to be a Steeler fan and be like, what the fuck's going on with our offense? This is embarrassing. And I think a lot of the times, and I'll get into this in a minute with Lincoln Riley, is the and, and I understand it because I'm like this, right? When your girlfriend, when your wife, when your parents tell you something, it's easy to get defensive, right? Even when you know they're right, like bullshit, that's not right. Stop saying that and, and get defensive. And I think when you see some of these head coaches defend a coordinator, and listen, there are friends with them, they like the guy, they know how hard the guy's working out. I was texting with a buddy the other night. I don't think the average fan, this guy works in the NFL can even fathom how many hours these coaches work. I mean, I, I don't think they're there at the butt crack of dawn, 5, 5.30 a.m., and most of them aren't leaving until close to midnight. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and, and some hit or miss Thursday. But that is three straight weeks, and that includes traveling on the weekends. Obviously, you play on Sunday. Th these are long-ass days game planning and preparing early in the week. It's crazy. And it's one thing if you're Belichick with Brady and you're winning. It's it's one thing when you're Andy Reid and these guys put in insane hours. But when you're winning, Belichick now is like, what, what are you spending all this time? Like, you could sleep in the office, Bill. Mac's not going to throw any more touchdowns. Andy does it because he's winning. Like, it's all he knows. But it's, he goes, it's worth it. Like, this, it's equating to Super Bowl bursts, AFC championships, Super Bowl rings. That's what Bill would always say. Well, shit, I was... We're going to Super Bowl every other year, and we're winning 75% of them. I can't imagine being like Joe Judge or Pat Shermer. It's like all night long grinding in the office, 
to get your fucking ass kicked on Sunday. Shoot me right now. Like, bro, go home in six. It ain't going to change anything, and you're going to get fired. So when you, I bet Tomlin sees Matt Canada putting in these crazy long hours, and the same thing happens over and over and over on Sunday. It would drive me nuts. It's one thing, like, I bet Sean Payton's putting in crazy hours, but I think he'd justify it like, it's my first year, I'm setting the tone, even though it ain't equating to anything, but that's just the way these guys are wired. My ultimate point is, I don't care what industry you work in, football coaches, I'm not saying it's right, I'm not saying a lot of it even makes sense, but the hours they work, it's why you hear so many players go, I would never be a coach, that's crazy. And Some of them end up doing it because they miss football, and then they just get back in the mix and they lose touch with how they once said they would never do it. But the hours are are crazy. And uh, Matt Canada, I'm sure, works long hours. It's not equating to anything. And the only time that they really score is when T.J. Watt, Highsmith, or Minka Fitzpatrick makes a play or Kenny Pickett just throws a, do- a bomb to George Pickens. So I think the Steelers um, have major issues. Can I tell you about my friends at Factor? With the busy fall season just around the corner, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up with fast, chef-prepared, dietitian-approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Let's face it, a lot of us moving fast, going places, and don't have time to eat healthy. And that's a key. A lot of us are trying to improve our diets that's where factors come in. Choose from 34 weekly flavored packed dietitian approved meals ready to eat in less than two minutes. Level up with the gourmet plus options prepared to perfection by chefs ready to eat in record time. If you're looking for calorie conscious options ahead of the busy season, try delicious dietitian approved calorie smart meals with around or less than 550 calories per serving. How do you beat that? So head to factormeals.com slash John50 and use the code J-O-H-N 50 to get 50% off. That's code John50 at factormeals.com slash John50 to get 50% off. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. 
Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Couple college thoughts. Uh, one of the greatest all-time lines I heard, uh, Oklahoma put out a video. Remember a couple weeks ago, Oregon put out the video after they beat Colorado, and it went pretty viral, and it was cool. I think Oklahoma put out an even better video of them beating Texas, of just integrating all the you know pregame hype, the week hype to the game hype. And one of their, I think their star team captain linebacker gave a line that said, "At Oklahoma, we fear God, and at Texas, they fear Oklahoma." And I, I saw the kid on with Pat McAfee. He said he kind of made it up on the spot. Uh, just a great line. <laughs> it is fantastic. Uh, highly recommend going to Oklahoma football social media channels, watching that eight-minute video. It's just it's really good if you're a football nerd. But speaking of Oklahoma, I saw Lincoln Riley. He got asked the other day about his defensive coordinator. And like the Tomlin with Matt Canada, he got very defensive. And he basically crushed the media for saying, you guys have been waiting for our defense to play bad, to blame Alex, the defensive coordinator, Grinch. It's like, no, Lincoln, we just watched your defense and he's terrible. Like he's not, your defense is getting worse. You and Caleb are good. You can score a lot of points. No one's ever argued that. Caleb will go, you'll land another quarterback and you'll keep scoring points. But you were brought here for $120 million and they bought your mansion in Oklahoma that no one in Norman, Oklahoma would have purchased. And they ask you, what was the price? And you said $4 million. And they said, we'll pay $500,000 over that for you to compete and ultimately win national championships at USC. Fight on. That's the goal. They want Pete Carroll again, but in 2023. And they viewed you as that guy. And one thing Pete always valued was everything. He cared about linebackers, just like he cared about running backs. He cared about right guards, just like he cared about cornerbacks. He cared about the entire team. And I think when I watch Lincoln Riley, and listen, I've heard some things through scouts and people that have been through there, Lincoln is obsessed with the quarterback in the offense, which most offensive coaches are. Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay. The difference, even Sean Payton, in those guys, they care deeply about defense. And they will allocate resources on the defensive side of the football. And if they don't have a great idea for who to land, they will use their GM or their personnel people to help them. I don't think Lincoln really cares. I truly do not believe that. Like, and when USC in their heyday was kicking everyone's ass in the country, they were a complete team. And the only way to win and compete to win national championships in 2023, just like it was in 2004, you have to be good on both sides of the ball. I don't care if you could score points. You have to be able to stop people. And I don't think Lincoln truly believes that. The other thing is, I think he's too good of friends with his defensive coordinator because he likes the guy a lot. There's nothing wrong with that. 
The problem is in the business of football, when you are such good friends with a coordinator and you're the head coach, and that guy is on the opposite side of the of the ball that you are, and it's not working, you got major problems. Because ultimately, you're going to have to fire the guy. And for Lincoln to act like it's no big deal, to me, is a little concerning. Because Lincoln, like, listen, I, I want USC to be good. I want you to be good. But when I watch you say that, and I, m- most importantly, I watch your team, and you get shredded on a weekly basis, it's, it's one thing to play Oregon or Washington and give up 40 points. Arizona, with their backup quarterback, a guy, honestly, I'd never even heard of, Fafita, fucking lighting you up like he's Peyton Manning. Jed Fish smoking you on Saturday night at home. Like, you're not being paid $120 million for that. It's like Brian Kelly. Brian Ke- you, you're not allowed to lose to Ole Miss. You're not allowed to lose to Ole Miss. He ended up beating Missouri, but at one point in time in that game, it looked like he was going to lose to Missouri. You're not allowed to lose that game. You're not allowed to. You, you, you're allowed to lose to Alabama. Just like if you're USC, you, you're allowed to lose to Oregon. You, you, you can't play this closely to Arizona. It's not okay. Not at that price point. Not for that much money. And the money's a huge factor in all this shit. And speaking of money, Mark Stoops, Bob's brother, made a comment that basically after he got his ass kicked by Georgia, that they bought a lot of good players. And of course, everyone, you know, everyone came out of the woodwork to have crazy takes. And I've I've said it forever before NIL. I thought a lot of the media, uh, especially for like the Jay Billises of the world, were very disingenuous when they talked about players being paid, especially in basketball. Like college basketball has always paid players under the table, straight cash homie, for my entire life and well before I was born. Hell, John Wooden's team were doing it in the 60s and 70s. Let alone Mark Stoops School, Kentucky, has the biggest payroll in the country well before NIL. And one thing I've been told through the grapevine is there's this thing called dark money. Because now that NIL... If I give a kid $150,000, he's getting taxed on that money. And if he plays at USC, if he plays at Penn State, he is paying federal and state income tax. So if I give you $150,000, you're going to pay $65,000, $70,000 in taxes, right? But this thing called dark money goes, hey, listen, School X is offering you, you know, two hundred dollars How about this? We'll give you a $100,000 NIL deal, and we'll give you... $70,000 under the table. So you won't have to pay a dime in taxes. So you get taxed on the hundred and then I'll give you another 70 grand just in, you know, not necessarily in brown bags, but that way. And that's going on at all the big institutions. It's why all these coaches are so pissed off because they're like, listen, it's not even just straight NIL money. It's NIL money mixed with this dark money, a bunch of shady shit's happening. It's pretty clear. It's not hard to figure out who's doing the shadiest shit. Just look at the top programs. And I've said forever, I have no problem with any of it. I I pay to play is a huge part of most industries. Welcome to the real world. But this notion now that everything's above board and all the media are like getting in some big circle jerk, like great for the players. It is still like, it's it's just very bizarre. A lot have like political undertones, right? It's weird. But it is not by any means fixed. And most of the top programs aren't just paying. Like, listen, if you're Shador Sanders or Caleb Williams or Drake May or whatever and making millions of dollars above board, who cares about the taxes? You're making so much money. But if I'm getting 100 grand, like, I'm actually not getting $100,000. 
right? And before, those type players would have got cash that was untaxed on top of a car. And then everyone was pushing for this, which is good for the high, high, like top one or 2%. But the majority of guys that also would have been paid, they actually might've got more money and had less headaches. So this situation right now, and listen, Georgia's always going to have better players than Kentucky, is not just like the most seamless operation that everyone acts when these coaches complain. They're complaining about stuff that technically they're not going to come out and say just because they're just not. That's just a fact. Just like they never did back in the day when everyone was getting money under the table. But from what I've been told, and I know all these people that go into these schools, crazy shit is going on right now. And it's not just in 1099 payments. I promise you that. Okay, let's dive into a little mailbag. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram. Fire into those DMs and get your question answered on the show. Question for the pod. I moved to Charlotte a little over a year ago and have had the opportunity to see the disaster that has been the Panthers organization firsthand. I wanted to defriend Frank a little. As the sense amongst local media and fans is that he's being handcuffed by ownership, meddling, in coaching and personnel decisions. For example, there is a video making the rounds online of the Panthers owner saying he preferred Bryce in the draft and that the team didn't necessarily need top-tier wide receiver talent because Bryce was a good distributor and like a point guard. Just some thoughts on on the situation as I don't think Reich is fully to blame. Well, I think David Tepper's ownership is is a disaster currently. And I saw another clip go viral of Josh McCown, the former quarterback, who's now the quarterback coach because he was the backup when Frank was the OC in Philly, so they know each other. So he's got a good staff. Josh McCown, high-level guy. Deuce Daly is running back coach. They went to C.J. Stroud's pro day, and they were like hugging, and I, I might screw up the exact conversation, but it was something like, hey, man, next time you come, it might be full-time. And it was like Josh saying, like, hey, we got to find you a place to live. Again, might be screwing that up. I, I forget the exact verbiage. But it, I remember at the time when that video clip went viral before the draft, people thought, like, ah, C.J. Stroud to Carolina. And I, I think a lot of people, when that video you know, is making its rounds this week, is going, oh, Dave Tepper forced them to take the other guy. And Frank had a comment that I saw on my Twitter timeline within the last week. It might have been even on on Monday talking about the ownership and how his owner's very, very involved. And I think he's had back to, you know, he's with the Colts. Their owner was involved too. But I think when you look at David Tepper, I think Jim Ursay just wants to win, but he's not telling you like who to pick. I think David Tepper thinks he knows football and is telling you who to draft. And if that is true, then yeah, it's a disaster. It's a major, major problem. And they're going to have serious issues because Frank's not good enough to overcome that. And if Bryce the wrong pick and the owner forced him to pick it, I would leak something out if I was Frank because he's ultimately going to get fired very fast. So I, I think there is no disputing that if the owner has his hands in everything, which it feels like he does, they're screwed. They're they're really screwed. My man, I'll be the first to be critical of Lamar when he doesn't play good. And he made a terrible throw in the red zone for an INT. But I feel like you got to at least bring up the drop passes. Eight of them. 
three were touchdowns. Not much he can do. Agree. You're right. I, I was going off the interception that I was very critical of him. I saw a couple people, you know, CBS football and a bunch of people tweeting and Instagramming all the drops. Listen, you have a drop, you hit a guy in the hands, it's in the NFL, that's not on the quarterback. Can't turn over the ball. But I hear you. Like, drop touchdown passes, drop first down passes are not on the quarterback by any means. And I was saying this is someone who bet on the Steelers. So, I, I mean, I, I'm glad that it happened. Belichick to the Bears? If Kraft gets rid of him, this is something Chicago would probably do, wouldn't they? I don't think they would. Uh, I just think they are too cheap. So I can't imagine what Belichick's not working for $8 million. And the Bears, like the Chargers, like having a cheap coach because the difference between a $7 million coach and a $16 million coach is $9 million for the owner a year. I mean, that's his private jet, that's his extra house. Sounds crazy, but that's a fact. And I, I think once you're rich, being cheap is a disease. And I think the Bears have it. I think the Chargers have it. It's hard to fake it. It, it, it really is. You know, Stan Kroenke does not give a shit. He'll pay what the SEC schools will pay what they got to pay. Because winning and when you win, you get money. In the NFL, you don't have to win to get rich. You do not. Look at the Chargers. Look at the Bears. Neither are winning. They're printing money. And they could make the Bears could make more once they get a new stadium. So I I think it would be cool, especially if they got the number one and number two pick, but I, I just don't think they would pay him. Question for the bag. I love how you closed out Monday's pod questioning the Panthers' move to hire Frank to be the head coach and trade up for Bryce Young. But I think we need to take a step further back and look at Tepper as an owner. Since he bought the team in 18 for straight cash, as you like to point out, I like to point it out just because, you know, it's, it, let's say you bought a new Suburban, which are not cheap. And let, let's say, let's just pick an even number, hundred grand. You're like, I, I paid cash for this. You know, interest rates were a little high. I had a bunch of cash. I just paid cash for the Suburban. Now, some people might say, why would you ever do that? Let's just hypothetically say you did. I'm like, damn, this dude paid cash for a Suburban. Hell, I'm sure some people know whether you did it, you know people that did it, maybe someone in your neighborhood did it if you're in real estate. A real estate agent, you've seen clients do this, pay cash for a home. It's like, damn, this guy just bought, I see it all the time in Arizona. This house just sold for $1.4 million cash. It happens in the Bay Area all the time. You're like, jeez, just keep that much cash on you? Uh, but Tepper bought an NFL team and paid cash. All cash. Like that's, that's, to me, one of the most incredible accomplishments in the history of the world. If you can buy an NFL team with cash, nothing but respect. But the team has been mediocre. They have been straight up bad. Oh, they haven't been mediocre. They've been straight up bad. 29 and 57. Tepper has allowed the front office to trade away star players, McCaffrey and DJ Moore. Those guys are pretty good, yes. They traded away the potential number one pick in 24, and he pulled the plug on a brand new football operations facility for the team. I'm concerned Tepper will move the team before he ever sells. What's your take on Tepper, Tepper's ownership? The thing with moving the team, uh, part of St. Louis moving to L.A., it's like, yeah, St. Louis to L.A. is a no-brainer. Oakland's a dump, and they moved it to Vegas. No-brainer. Like, where are you moving from Charlotte? That's a no-brainer. That, that's my question. Part of moving is like a huge upgrade in cities. Charlotte's kind of like a big-time growing city. 
It's not like Nashville needs a team. Think of all the booming cities right now in my backyard, Arizona. They don't need a team. So like all these areas that are booming, none of them need Charlotte is a booming area. Like I, that's a good area to be in. I think it's more about that. He just might not know what he's doing. And I also think there's a human element to it. When you're Dave Tepper and you aren't just as rich as him, but you're as successful as him, who is telling you like, Hey David, this is not a great idea. And maybe he had some of those in business. Like, let's not buy this business. Let's not invest in this stock. And maybe he had confidants. Maybe he had a CFO, uh, a COO, some people that he relied on. Who's telling him in football what to do and what not to do? And in fairness, if you and I were in that position, we'd probably think we knew everything too. And this is what I get back to with the Bears and the Chargers being cheap. He can fail. He can suck this year. They could go 0-17. He will get the same amount of money from the league office as the San Francisco 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles. There's not any other many other industries where you can completely fail as a business, lose games, suck, and still make as much money as the team who's having the most success in your industry. Now, those teams might make more in sweet sales and everything, but I'm just saying the $380 million the league will give them on the media rights deal is the same thing. Was payroll for the players is $200 million. So he's up almost $200 million in, in positive, you know, in, in the in the green. He, he, it's impossible for him to go in the red. So until you go into the red in most industries, like you don't really need to be introspective and go, what do I need to change? In the NFL, you never have to do that. Question for the pod. Would you say that Tyreek is being used more effectively in Miami than he was in Kansas City? Could McDaniel be the best offensive mind in the league? Well, let me just bring up, because that's that's a pretty bold thing to say, I would say. Uh, let me just type in Tyreek Hill. Let's bring up his his stats, because in my opinion, Kansas City is pretty good. So he had his last year, in for, for example, he was elite last year. 17 games, didn't miss a game, had 119 catches, 1,700 yards, seven touchdowns. His previous year with the Chiefs, he had... 111 catches, 1,200 yards, and more touchdowns. In 2000, what year is this? In 2020, he had 87 catches, but he had 15 touchdowns. In 2018, he had 87 catches and 12 touchdowns. So he had less catches. You have to remember also, they have Travis Kelsey. uh, And they also had hard, I mean, they had other receivers. So I, it might be a little sexier behind the line of scrimmage, but I, I think we'd be quick to forget how incredible him and Mahomes were. I mean, just he's just a couple years removed from 15 touchdowns with Mahomes. And Mahomes' first year as a starter, he had 12 touchdowns. Mahomes' first year as a starter was 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah. So I hear what you're saying, and it's 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 fun, but I don't think it's that different. Hey, John, big fan from Australia. As a Denver fan, I saw that we released Randy Gregory earlier this week after signing him to a large deal. He was actually traded, but you guys were going to cut him. A lot of times when you leak, you're going to cut someone. You're basically just throwing out there, hey, give us a seventh round pick and we'll trade him to you. My question is this. Surrounding the cut of a recently signed player to a hefty contract, 
How do the finances work? Does he just get paid out the remainder of the season as he was on the active roster? And then the owner writes a check for whatever guaranteed was negotiated. Is it paid in a lump sum or in installments? Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna waste time and pull up his contract, but let's just say they gave him twenty million dollars in guaranteed money. And twelve of that was a signing bonus. The moment he signed his contract, he got twelve million dollars within a two week span. So the guaranteed money usually gets paid out within a calendar year. You know, the bigger contracts, like the $100 million contracts over a couple-year period. But that team pays all that money, especially the signing bonus. And then it gets prorated on the salary cap. So the 49ers take back his active, just whatever his salary is. But depending on the structure of the contract, more than likely, they won't have to pay much guaranteed money. And I essentially... I, I saw a couple days ago that they they owe him less than a million dollars. So the Broncos, they're on the hook for the money. I mean, hell, they paid it out already. It's already gone. It, it's already been paid for. So that, that's the biggest difference in the NFL than like baseball and basketball contracts, where Randy Gregory would be much more difficult to trade. And again, I, I don't have his contract in front of me, but let's just say he was a $15 million player. Let's just say they, they signed him to a four-year, $60 million. And he had played a year and a half on 15, so he had made like $25 million. The Niners would be on the hook for the remaining 35. And then he would be untradeable. But that's not the case because the guaranteed money's out and they can cut him after the year. Hell, they can cut him in a week if they don't like him. So it, it becomes easier because typically the team unloading the guy with the hefty contract, i.e. Randy Gregory, eats all the money. And that that's what happened here. So the 49ers basically just owe him a prorated version of $900,000. And if he acts like an idiot or they don't like him, they, they can cut him whatever they want. They owe him no money. What do you think the Dolphins' defense will look like when Jalen comes back? They need to be able to play better because the offense is better when it has a lead. The Dolphins really play well one kind of way on offense, and the defense needs to complement them better. Well, I think here's the problem. Obviously, Jalen would really help because Jalen, he actually wasn't that good last year, but he's a big improvement for them. And let's just say he'd still, if he was healthy this year, would have been a top-five corner. If you have a top-five corner, it helps your defense. To me, when I think Vic Fangio, I think a fantastic front seven. Like, that's what he had his one year when they were sweet in Chicago with Khalil Mack. It's what he had with the 49ers. When Vic Fangio has a fantastic front seven, he actually doesn't need great DBs. You watch the Dolphins like they're not that good up front. You know, they traded a first-round pick for Bradley Chubb, and let's face it, Bradley Chubb is not like a Pro Bowl-level guy. And I'd be lying if I like broke down every one of his snaps, but I wouldn't call Bradley Chubb an impact player, given what they're paying him slash gave up to get him. So I, I think that's the bigger problem. And if you're not good up front, as it gets colder and you got to go on the road, and if they're not the number one seed, it's very, very difficult to win. Because even though, uh, what's his name, A-Chan, the rookie, went on injured reserve today, their running game's going to be fine. And you can the thing with Tyreek, like they can get him the ball. They can throw wide receiver screens. They can get him the ball on end arounds. A guy like Tyreek, I don't just need to pass it to you. I can get you the slants. I can get you the ball within five yards of the line of scrimmage, and you can take it 50. So you're right. The offense, I, I just don't think their defensive personnel is going to be good enough. And I don't care what Vic Fangio does. I, I just don't know what else he can do. Mailbag question. It never seems to work out for the Broncos ever since the Super Bowl. 
Last year, the defense was awesome, and the offense, especially Russ, was awful. This year, Russ actually has been pretty solid, while the defense is awful. If the Broncos continue to lose and have a high draft pick, would you try to get out from Russ and draft one of these quarterbacks, or would you draft some help in a different area and run it back with Russ? If Sean Payton, who, let's face it, is the grand poobah of Denver now, he's in full control, was the guy that traded for Russell Wilson, I would say that's what they would do. He would write it out and try to fix him. But because he, now he signed up for this, but he's not like emotionally invested in the trade because that's already water under the bridge, like spilled milk. It happened. He's going to worry about what's best for the next five years. And let's say they, let's say they lose Thursday night. Hypothetically, they go four and 13 and they're drafting second overall. If I had to put a pie chart, if Caleb goes one, 95% chance he takes Drake May. And 5% chance he takes, you know, left tackle, whoever the best pass rusher is, the best wide receiver. I would guess they draft a quarterback. You being a former scout, seeing all the footage from the Chiefs receiver, Justin Ross, in the preseason, why is he not getting any catches when the whole Chiefs receiving core has been looking mediocre at best this season? Because the preseason and the regular season don't really parallel each other in the sense of in the preseason, I'm just running, let's just pick a number, the 25 plays that we've implemented with the twos and the threes throughout training camp that we run well. And we just run them over and over again, maybe 50 plays, whatever. But also I'm doing it up against just generic defensive calls. Cover two, cover three. Uh, Cover zero, right? We're just getting very, very just generic calls on a play-in-play basis. In the regular season, we're taking the entire playbook with Andy would be a ton of plays, and then we're adding variations to those plays that are our core plays to the game plan based on what they're running. So it's a very complicated formula. I'll never forget Coach Reed telling me one time about Tyreek. He's like, you know the most underrated part about him is how football smart he is. He's like, I can tell him something one time on a, you know, depending on who we're playing, and he gets it immediately. His football intelligence is elite. Like part of most great players offensively, Tyreek, Travis Kelsey, Demonte Adams, Christian McCaffrey, these guys' football IQ is like Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. But we never really talk about, you know, skill guys like that. But they have to have the ability like, hey, this coverage is actually zoned. This guy's off. Remember on Wednesday when we talked, if we get this look with this play, instead of running a go route, you're going to run a hitch. or You're going to run a five-yard out. Or you're going to come in motion when he looks at you. You know, it's fucking complicated. So, for example, Justin Ross, maybe it's too much for him. And I'm, I'm just taking an educated guess. But he's not alone. Maybe he's not good against press coverage. Maybe he's not good against press coverage slash the offense is kind of overwhelming as they've started game planning. I I was texting someone like, why doesn't Hyatt with the Giants play more? They're like, well, he can't get out. If you put a guy in front of him, he can't get around him. Can't do anything on press. So it's like, yeah, I mean, in theory, he can run really fast, but it's more complicated than that. Now, if you're not playing for this version, Andy Reid, like I, I, my educated guess is you're having trouble taking what they're coaching in the meeting room to the practice field. 
if you can't do it on the practice field, like I've heard Dion say this, like if we do something in the meeting and then we try to run it in the practice and you can't do it, how can I, if you can't do it there, how am I going to trust you to do it on Saturday? How can I trust you to do it on Sunday? Like one bad play, you run the wrong route, the DB sitting there, we throw a pick and we fucking lose. Like the margin for error in these games, especially in the NFL, college is a little bit bigger, but the NFL is very, very small. Have you ever scouted a player that you that you really liked but didn't necessarily have the stats or film to back it up? Just a hunch or feeling that a player could be great. If so, how hard is it to sell that perspective of a player to the GM and coaches? I often wonder how many players miss out purely down circumstances at a school or a team. Well, I only did the road for one year. So if you talk to some of my friends who have been scouting like on the road for a decade, two decades you become very close to the school, especially if you have an area, to the players that you scout, right? It's one thing, for example, this year, like everyone's going to have an opinion on Marvin Harrison Jr. or everyone's going to have an opinion on, you know, Bo Nix or whatever. But they're going to be the random guard at Boston College who's probably like a six-round guy. That for whatever reason, you love his toughness, you love his feet, and most importantly, you love his story, right? Everything you hear about him, the character, and you become very invested in it. I'm just making this player up. But obviously, once you start introducing him to your coaching staff, to your offense, to your O-line coach, it can be difficult because he might not have the same connection. He might never build the same connection as you do. So it can be hard. Now, part of your job is to stand on the table and push. Now, obviously, the better relationship you have with your assistant coaches, with your GM, with your scouting directors, it makes the streamline streamlining that process easy. Also, the longer you are in a building and you have equity built up, like, hey, remember the last three guys I, I've been this adamant about? Well, two of them are on the team. The other guy's a fucking pro bowler. So I'm not just saying this to say it. So you can't cry wolf. So I don't remember. It's been, you know, it's a decade now. I definitely, the more and more, because I'm a people guy. So I tend to like people and I tend to not like people, right? I mean, I, I'm pretty opinionated. So it, it would have been an issue. And the one thing I learned, and this is really good advice, is you got to watch the player before you read the character. Because if you read the character first, and when I say read, like you go meet with a person and they give you the breakdown of the background and the character, you might fall for a guy who might not be that good and vice versa. You get a character that's not great like, God, I hate this loser. And then you watch the tape, you're like, God, this guy's good. And it can really skew the way that you view a player. So it's it's what makes this stuff so complicated, right? Because there's the person, there's the player, but ultimately they're, the package is together. The person is the player. But when you evaluate him, you kind of separate it, right? You do the write-up on the football player, and then you do the separate write-up on the background, the character, the work ethic, all that stuff, all the intangibles. So it's... It's why the job's hard. It's it's why you have so many people that miss. I'm a Patriot fan and my girlfriend is a Broncos fan. We made a bet on the season. Whosever team loses more games has to run a marathon. Should I start training? I would say that what if you guys both win the same amount of games? Do you go marathon together? I think the Patriots have every bit the same chance as the Broncos to, to be worse. I would actually say the Broncos are more inclined to win a game or two more than the Patriots. 
Because like the previous DMer said, like Russell hasn't been that terrible. He's not as good as he once was, but he's way better than Mac Jones. So if you just go, God, if Russell gets hot for a couple games, couldn't they win five if their defense just, their defense is going to have some games where it doesn't play terrible. The Patriots suck on offense. They have no talent. Their quarterback is awful. And now their defense is all banged up. So if I had to bet right now, sitting here on October 11th, I'd say Patriots four wins, Broncos five. Five wins, that's a terrible season, but I, I think the Patriots got four wins written all over them. Okay, we'll be back Thursday after the game. Pod will be out Friday morning. Appreciate everyone listening. Adios. The volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.